Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. Today's episode is an episode you do not want to miss. As we know right now, if you are listening to this in the future, it is Friday, the 20th of March, year 2020. And as we know right now, for all of you that are listening, the last two weeks, our world has changed dramatically. So one of the people that was absolutely top on my list to bring to you guys to help you understand what's going on in the markets, particularly the debt markets, facilities being financed, what's happening in the world today is uh, my good friend, Devin Hubert. Now there's, there's a, a lot of people in the industry um, that really have their fingers on the pulse. And you have to understand, uh, uh, Devin and his he's a he works on the financing side so he's a broker who they've done over 3 billion in transactions in in just the last 10 years his group's awesome the BSC group um he's based out of Chicago and he's been in this for a long time. He's seen a lot. And over the years, he's been someone that I, I've gone to wisdom. He's done financing on a lot of our facilities. So I think he's going to help you guys understand really what's happening today, give some interesting perspective. So he was actually traveling because Chicago and everywhere else is under lockdown. So he was kind enough to, they have a, a summer home at his summer home, jump in on this call with us today so we can get it out to you as soon as possible. So with that, I'm going to bring him in. Devin, thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, AJ. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah. Me and Connor were talking about us, you know, of course, as always, we got Connor, or my co-host here with me, and we were talking about all the different things that could have, that's affecting the self-storage industry and things that we wanted to bring to um, self-storage operators or people looking at getting in the industry. And uh, right now, one of the reoccurring things that just keep coming up from our listeners is financing. They're wanting to know what's happening and that's changing so quick. Uh, I really wanted to, to bring you in to, to help talk and understand because in most facilities, that's the number one expense. And that a lot of time affects everything, as you know, from pricing. So why don't you give them a quick background on you, how you got sure. into the self-storage industry. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So me and my partner, Sean Hill, we've been in uh, the industry for 20 plus years now. Um, we started the BSC group back in 2009 during the downturn. Um, not a great time to start a mortgage banking shop, but um, we figured, uh, you know, start at the bottom and build from there. Um, and it's been a, a terrific run at the BSC group for the last 10 years. We got to see what happened during, you know, 2008 to 2010 firsthand. 
uh, with the seizing of the, the capital markets. And, you know, for the past three years, people have been talking about what's going to happen, what's going to take, you know, this amazing run that we've had since the Great Re- Recession, this amazing run that we've had in self-storage, what's going to take it down? And no one's been able to put their finger on the pulse of that, on, you know, what the next, you know, macro event is that's going to drive us um, into recession. All the talk was about oversupply. That's what's going to kill, uh, that's what's going to kill us, that's what's going to come and haunt us. You didn't have anyone, or at least anyone I talked to, that said it's going to be a pandemic. Nobody. So, you know, nobody. That black swan is upon us. And, you know, AJ, as uh, you and I were talking earlier, um, it's changing daily. So, you know, a month ago, we kind of felt some headwinds. There was talk, but, you know, it was business as usual. Lenders weren't really, you know, talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. It was business as usual. We were plugging forward even as early as, you know, two weeks ago. Um, Lenders, it was on people's radar. You know, there was talk about it, you know, on the news shows, but it really hadn't filtered into the capital markets. And then the snowball started to happen. And literally multiple times a day, uh, we've been in contact with lenders, figuring out, you know, what the course of action, you know, is. And, you know, it just continues to change daily. We don't know where it stands right now. The good news is lenders are still lending. They're active. And the best part is they're healthy. So what happened back in the Great Recession, right, was the lenders were the cause of the recession. It was, you know, irresponsible lending, bad credit decisions, you know, uh, residential mortgages, all of that. The, the cause of the recession was, in fact, the lending community. And because of that, the banks weren't healthy. The banks had to work out their situation. Their balance sheets dried up and the credit markets seized up for, you know, several years. That had a effect on real estate owners and the economy alike when capital wasn't available. Well, this time around, the capital markets and the effect that the coronavirus is having on them is the capital markets are a symptom. They're not a cause. So when we finally do get through this and it, it works its way through, um, we feel that there, you know, at least from a capital market standpoint, will be a quick snapback in lending because the lenders are healthy. They have strong balance sheets and they want to get money out and they have the money to get out. So, you know, we're hopeful that that will happen. What we're seeing right now is like you and I and, you know, everyone else out there, we don't know what the future holds, at least the the immediate future. And the lenders are really taking that same approach. You know, CMBS lenders, for instance, up until two weeks ago, they were holding their spreads, right? So spreads for a CMBS loan was somewhere between, 150 and 250 basis points over the treasury. Well, two weeks ago in, the the treasury started to drop, right? The treasury two weeks ago was about 170 basis points, and it just started to plummet, plummet, plummet to the point that, um, you know, I I don't know where it bottomed out, but, um, or what day it bottomed out, but it bottomed out around 40 basis points. Today, it's back to uh, 1.8%, 1.08%. So you can see the volatility in the treasury. Well, everyone, you know, people who have loans that are with CMBS lenders have been asking, well, gosh, with the treasury dropping as fast as it has, what, what's, you know, where's my interest rate? Is my interest rate 100 basis points lower than when I signed up? And the answer is no, right? Because there's the other side of that equation, too. 
which is the credit spread. And the credit spread, as treasuries come down, that means risk is off. People don't want to take risks. There's a flight to quality. So there's demand for, for treasuries. Well, that means there isn't demand for corporate bonds or you know commercial real estate bonds. And so to uh, entice investors to buy them, what they have to do is increase the spread. So two weeks ago, we started to hear CMBS lenders talk about, okay, uh, treasuries are down, there's this disturbance in the economy, we think spreads are blowing out. Um, and, you know, we started hearing 20, 40 basis points. Um, the issue with credit spreads is it's not something that is traded on a daily basis. You get your credit spread when you take a pool of bonds to market and sell them, and you find out what the investor is willing to pay. Well, that only happens a couple of times a month. So there's this lag period. Well, two weeks ago, we were, you know, the Treasury was down 100 basis points, and we were thinking credit spreads may be out 20 to 40 basis points. Well, as everything has transpired in the economy, as more businesses have had to or been forced to shut down as, pe as people have needed to work from home as schools have shut down it just continues to snowball out where we are hearing there's a significant increase in spreads you know in the cmbs world no one is willing to put their finger on how wide that is because very little has sold in the market and so what these cmbs lenders are doing is some of them are on the sidelines not lending really at all um, or not lending isn't the right word, not quoting deals. If they have deals under contract or under application, they're closing those deals, but they're not signing up new deals. However, there's a lot of lenders or a lot of CMBS lenders out there that are um, continuing to quote, but it's really a best efforts quote. And what they're saying is, okay, we like the deal. We know that we're going to want to get money out when this you know whole thing subsides. Um, so we don't want strong deals to pass us by. So we're interested in this deal. This is a general structure we'll put together. However, we have no idea where pricing is going to be. We're not going to pretend to tell you and quote you a price or an interest rate. What we'll do is we'll, we'll go along the ride with you. And then prior to closing, we'll determine where uh, interest rates are. You know, by that time, six to eight weeks out, we should have better, a better idea of where we are. And it possibly, you know, two weeks out from now, as some of this evolves, we should get a better understanding of exactly where spreads are. Now, that's just the CMBS market. Um, now, you know, and explain that, that real quick. Bank. So the yep. CMBS market, too, just to walk back. So there, there's different, a lot of people don't understand that there's actually different markets you go to to lend, right? Right. And there's different forms in lending that are taking place. So explain the CMBS market and particularly why that's relevant to the bond market as, we were as you were just talking about, um, right. because that really affects those spreads. Yeah. So in the CMBS market, it's commercial mortgage-backed securities. It is a perfect place for borrowers who have cash-flowing assets or a cash-flowing self-storage facility that you know isn't in lease-up or isn't being built, but is actually stabilized and, and providing cash flow. It's a great avenue for those borrowers and owners to um, get long-term fixed-rate money with uh, you know a longer amortization than most of your local banks. And what they do is the originators of those are, you know, your big money banks, your Wall Street firms that originate them. You know, you've got Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, the list, there's 20 of them. Um, but it would be all the names you're familiar with. 
what they do is they go out and they originate dozens, if not hundreds of loans, pool them together, and then sell those, create a bond. Actually, they create multiple bonds or tranches of bonds with different risk appetites. And then they go sell that to the investment community, um, to bond buyers, uh, whether it's pension funds, um, you know, all different investors of bonds. Um, and, and these so, are traditionally non-recourse, correct? They are non-recourse loans, yes. And what makes um, it, 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 it's a transaction as opposed to a relationship, and it, it, it's really a trade for the bond investor. So what it does is it allows us to kind of track the movement and spreads. And so as things happen in the economy, one of the first places that we see from a commercial real estate lending standpoint, we see the effect that it's going to have on the debt markets is the CMBS market. So, so it's a canary you know, in, in the coal times, mine. It, it really is. Yes. So as the CMBS lenders start to get scared, you start not scared isn't the right word, but have concerns, um, their, their spreads start to widen. And, you know, that's, they were holding tight for, you know, up until two weeks ago, and it's just started to accelerate to the point that they're saying, hey, let's just take a break. Let, let's hit pause for a little bit. We'll still quote deals. We'll still close deals. But, but let's not try to box ourselves into any type of interest rate until we really see what, what you know, the impact that this is going to have, right? And two weeks ago, it was, okay, how, how, how many people are going to get sick? How many, you know, those were the conversations. Now that is still, you know, foremost, the conversation is, you know, people's health. But now we're seeing the effect that that's going to have on the economy. And it's, it's going to be much deeper than, you know, at least that's what people are, are talking about, much deeper than we thought two weeks ago. So now you have that aspect of it, too, where, where you know, CMBS lenders and now your local and regional money banks are starting to talk this way, too, is just how, how deep is this going to cut, you know, into the economy? Um, so that will have an effect on lenders' appetites, both CMBS and, and conventional lenders. And it, so I, I've heard from a lot of people. Um, in, in, so we have a, a, a self-storage income, like Mastermind Group, right? And we had a meeting and they mm-hmm. were talking and all of the, these investors and people were talking. And one of the reoccurring questions that they had is they're like, we don't understand because the treasury yields are dropping, yet interest rates are going up. And this is right. that spread that you were talking about. And two, another thing that I've noticed is that the less debt or let's let's call it credit worthy and also maybe the less appetizing the asset is, the more perceived risk, the less aggressive the banks are being on it. So they're becoming way more picky um, and uh, they're looking at pricing those riskier assets accordingly. Uh, that absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, right now, you know, it's been a borrower's market up until two weeks ago, and now it's a lender's market. Um, there's not nearly the liquidity um, that that there was before, and that's not because the banks aren't healthy. That's just because they're being being extremely cautious on who they, um, you know, who they sell to, um, or who they lend to. And so, you know, you're absolutely right that. Um, Lenders are being, uh, lenders are acutely aware of what is going on. They don't have the answers, but they're aware and are being extremely cautious 
on you know committing to you know deploying new funds so for instance we we've got several transactions in um in the hopper right now that are in the midst of closing or in the closing process we've been in contact with the bridge lenders that we're dealing with, with the local banks that we're dealing with, and with the CMBS lenders that we're dealing with on a daily basis, trying to figure out, are you going to close a loan? Where do you stand? Um, and to your point about different asset classes, we uh, we were talking to one of our CMBS lenders who we have a $40 million um, deal with um, that's in the midst of closing. Hopefully, we'll close in the next 30 days. And we've been on the phone with them every day where do we stand well they had a credit meeting um it was on tuesday and they went through every deal that was under application in their pipeline that was expected to close in the next 30 days and what were they going to do with it and i said well i I talked to our originator how did that go you know what was the feedback are you closing this loan we need to know um and she said well we are we're committed to closing the loans but we don't know at what interest rate. And let me tell you this, we have, I think her number was 17 loans closing in the next 30 days. We went through every single loan and the loan that got the least scrutiny was your loan. And I said, well, why is that? She goes, just because everyone loves self-storage and they feel like this, that is an asset class that, you know, that multifamily are going to be able to weather this storm like they have the other ones. And, you know, it's it's a mission-critical uh, property type. And so she well, just you know, said, you know, of it, all the loans we have. That's the one. That's awesome. Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, I was me and you are working on refinancing some of my properties. And in the last week, I've had three banks out of the blue, Merrill, um, Bank of America, mm-hmm. call me and say, hey, we'd like to take a look at your loans. And I'm like, I've none of you have ever called me before. In one week, all three of them called me and said, hey, we, we, we'd like to have discussions with the loan. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I, we're working on it with Devin and stuff. But it's interesting that that's happened. And I guess I understand why I looked at, uh, as of yesterday, we're still receiving move-ins. So our occupancy, yeah. which is at like 92%, is still rising. Now, first of all, I'm the first to say that can change in a second. We all know that. Right. right. Um, but there are some certain fundamentals with the uh, that of how self-storage works that does. It, it makes me very, very comfortable. Um, I'd mentioned right. to you. Well, right. Right. AJ, life events are still going to happen. Exactly. Um, and, you know, regardless of what what. So people will have the need. I was talking to an industry uh, professional this morning. Um, I'm not going to say who that was, but we were talking about, you know, so sure, a lot of the third party managers have sent out bulletins on, you know, what they're going to do um, during this time. And a lot of it uh, works around or talks about, you know, suspending auctions, you know, suspending late fees, things like that, things to help the customer, help the tenant. Um, and my question is, so what have you heard about move-ins and move-outs? What are people talking about? Are we going to see a surge? Are we going to see a, a downturn in that? And, you know, his response after talking to several of the third-party managers himself said that we think that there will be a, a short-term surge as some of the universities have to deal with, with what they have to deal with. But just generally, people try to get above the or ahead of the curve. Um, and then they feel there'll be a slowdown. No one knows, but you know, I, I have that same question as you do: is what impact is this going to have on move-ins and move-outs and occupancy? Um, the good thing is the lenders 
our least concern about he, us keeping our tenancy as they are the hotels and office and retail. Um, you know, that, that's their, um, you know, critical, what are we going to do with these assets and, and, and this part of our portfolio? Storage will be fine. Maybe storage will, you know, that's the general attitude of the credit people right now is we, we, we don't have to hit panic on storage, but there are some other asset classes that we may have to hit the panic button. You know, and I mentioned to you earlier, um, I have a very close friend who owns hotels, and he said that he went to from 90-plus um, percent occupancy to under 12 in a 24-hour period of time, and he laid off 100 people last week. Next week, he's going to lay off 100 more people and basically go dark, and they're all running Jeez. burn rates. They're saying, how long can we burn yeah. cash? Because we're not yeah. money's gone. It just overnight evaporated and he's like the, no. literally the day before we would not have imagined that transition and no. so you're right it's a shock to a lot a of good, these people's system yeah and not only is it a shock to these people's system it's becoming you know we've talked a lot about cmbs it's becoming a shock to commercial banks you know the the bank down the street the banking your neighborhood um who they have been lending as usual right again they're um they're not so much a canary in the the coal mine um you know a lot of times they're more reactive and it's not until they start to feel pain in their portfolios that they start to pull in the the reins as far as lending who they're lending to um you know but we're hearing that starting already so, you know, commercial local banks are pulling in the reins. They're still active. I'm not saying they're, they're not active out there. They are still active. Money is available. But, again, they get to be more selective. And they, some of their concern is and their effort is going to be focused on, instead of new business, managing their existing portfolios, helping the restaurants that they've lent to, the hotels that they've lent to, you know, working on that as opposed to, okay, let's, let's try to get new money out. Um, as they start to see distress in their portfolios, they're going to start to pull back. And the example AJ you just gave um, is spot on. Uh, you know, uh, the whole hotel industry is going to feel some pain. And so are, you know, lenders that have high exposure to, right, high exposure to or have a significant portion of their, uh, portfolio allocated to hotels and other uh, property types, but self storage again isn't one that is high on the uh, the radar as far as distress yet. Well, with coronavirus, self storage is the perfect real estate asset. We uh, um, don't we're, we don't need necessarily foot traffic to make uh, because we have residual mm-hmm. income due to contractual nature month to month. Um, social distancing at its finest, right? You have your unit, this huge facility, yep. nobody else is there. But two. Um, a lot of people that decided they're not going to get bigger homes, they're going to do stuff, they're going to keep their facility unit for longer because they don't know what's happening. They are now need to, they have valuables, maybe food storage, different things like that, businesses operating out of their facility. That's where they can go. Um, so there's sure. actually, you know, some benefits. And two, um, you know, the fu- some of the future benefits for the self-storage industry as we see it is one area that we think that self-storage will, lenders will tighten, is on new construction, new build. That their appetite for uh, a new build is going away, which will inevitably help us that have existing facilities because it's going to slow down this massive construction boom that we saw. Yep. 
I, I was just going to go there that uh, you're absolutely accurate. Um, it's really a one-two punch in the way that we see it. So we have already started hearing rumblings about construction delays. I mean, right, we're really two weeks into this. And already um, one of the big concerns is, uh, you know, developers out there that have half-built facilities not being able to meet their uh, delivery timeline. And, you know, it's just a function of what's happening in the employment sector. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if you start having the delays, what does that do to, you know, your carrying costs? What's it do to the pro forma? What's it, what kind of market are you going to open into? So there's a lot of concern out there, not even from the lending side, just from, you know, the developers out there who are building. Um, from a lending standpoint, it's been really, really difficult for the last six to 12 months to get a construction loan and self storage. I mean, they're just the lenders again, I'll use the word acute are acutely aware of the amount of supply that's come online and the impact that that's had on rents. And I'm not going to say rents, you know, nationwide, but rents in, in very specific markets have gotten crushed Crushed. and lenders are aware of this, you know, lenders have these assets in there or these, these properties in their portfolios, they're tracking them. They're seeing the performance. They're seeing how, you know, how lease up is stalled. They're seeing how rents are softer, how projects are going under budget. So it's been very difficult for developers to get construction loans um, for the last year. The only ones that are getting them are the really seasoned developer who has got great lending relationships, a strong balance sheet and unbelievable properties or unbelievable locations and are able to articulate that to the lender. Well, now, um, I'm not going to say it, it's completely going to shut down, but you know, you're, you're gonna, it's going to only be the cream of the crop because this just adds another what if, what uh, another unknown out there for the lender to say, I'm not going to try to, you know, we don't know what's happening next week. I'm not going to commit to a construction loan today that's going to be delivered you know, in a year and maybe in a year if we're lucky, and then try to peg where rents are going to be in three years. So, you know, we haven't seen that because honestly, I haven't gone to market in the last two weeks for a construction loan. I have gotten phone calls from, uh, you know, people wanting to get into the industry saying, hey, I've got a great site. Believe it or not, over the last two weeks, we continue to get uh, calls for people asking for construction loans, but we have not tried to place one. Um, but I can just imagine that it's, uh, it, it'd be next to impossible. And right, especially when the numbers come, we, because we haven't seen a lot of the data yet. So we, this, no. we, we, you know, people forget we're so soon into this that the carnage that is happening behind the scenes, we're not seeing. So like my buddy tells me he's laying off a hundred employees, then a hundred employees next week. Nobody else is hearing that. Nobody knows that. So when you start getting unemployment numbers that are coming mm-hmm. in and airlines, hotels, restaurants, any event place, any, I mean, any travel, leisure, vacation. I mean, these places are going to say, I think of like Orlando, Florida. Can you imagine what unemployment is going to be in Orlando, Florida? I mean, Orlando, Florida, I would not be shocked if they hit 25% unemployment because all the hotels are going to go dark. They have to, the state's going to require them to. And, and, and they, and AJ, imagine, you know, it just pretend that you're a uh, chief credit officer of a local bank in Orlando, and I come to you on Monday and say, hey, I've got a $12 million 
self-storage development. Do you want to finance me? <laughs> exactly. I'm probably not going to, right? Not even close. Because they're looking yeah. at it and they say, if those unemployment numbers come across the nation, they start going up and up and up. All of a sudden, you're sitting here, your pool that you could have accessed to get renters mm -hmm. is evaporating right before our eyes anyways. And then also, you've got to compete with existing storage facilities that have revenues. They have advertising yep. dollars. They're already, you know, stabilized. Um, people know them. They're marketing. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It yep. doesn't make sense. Exactly. Um, so yep. if that goes and on then, for six months, that takes a lot of new construction out of the market. I, I think it will. It, 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 it could be the slowdown in supply that people have been looking for. Obviously, the reason that slowdown is coming is terrible, but it probably is going to bring the slowdown people have been uh, looking for. And uh, another thing on construction lending is if you're a lender and you know, a lot of the construction loans were getting done because lenders had to get money out. Well, now they have other avenues to get their dollars out, right? Just because there's not going to be nearly the competition. So if you are a lender that is lending in this environment, you really can cherry pick your deals. You're not going to chair the number one chair you're picking isn't isn't a self storage new construction, yep. right? Because you're going to have a lot. If if you want to get into unstabilized self storage lending, there's properties that are you know built and you know a year or two into um, lease up, whose construction loans are coming due, and because of what's going on now, I would think that the lenders aren't going to extend those construction loans. So if you want exposure to that, you know, unstabilized self-storage, you can get it in, um, you know, those type of deals. And that was when I said the one-two punch. Unfortunately, one of the things this time around in this development cycle um, that has saved the developer is relative to what happened in 2000, you know, 8, 9, 10, is there is a very healthy bridge market right now. So when capital seized up in 2000, you know, 10, 11, uh, what was happening is the loans were coming due that were on, you know, development loans, properties were 40, 50% leased, and there was nowhere for them to, you know, get their next loan. Their local bank's balance sheet was poor. The feds were all over them. They were selling assets. So those, those uh, lenders were not extending those loans and they were forcing people to transact. And so you either had to come to the table with significant capital and quote unquote right size the loan or sell in a really distressed market. Well, this time around um, with all this supply that's coming online um, and the softness in rents and whatnot, there is significant bridge capital. So for that person who has been open for 18 months who has not hit their pro forma um, construction loan is coming due and, or they're out of interest reserve. They have a plethora of lenders that they can go to and get at very reasonable rates, right? Live or plus 350, which right now would be under 4%. Um, you basically get a lifeline for two years to, you know, go and continue to lease up by taking it away from your local bank to, the bridge market. You're also getting an opportunity to resize your your interest reserve. So you know if you're out of uh, out of carry, um, you can go refinance with these bridge lenders, and they'll give you additional interest carry um, and, and give you a couple more years. Or in some instances, 
Um, people have built with a construction lender, a local bank construction lender. Then once they've opened, they've been able to go to these bridge lenders and return significant equity to their investors because the value creation. Well, we haven't heard. We, you know, we're not seeing it again because it's been such a short window. But one of our concerns at the BSC group is some of those bridge lenders drying up. Um, and not being there, there it's it's private capital. They they go out and they raise um, debt funds and they go out and, and lend the money. A lot of them, those um, the bridge lenders, are borrowing against the equity that they raise. So they'll go out and raise five hundred million dollars of equity, and they'll go place. You know, they'll get a, a repo line or a warehouse line of credit, put another five hundred million million dollars, and have a billion dollars to lend. 500 of which is equity, 500 of which is debt. Well, if those warehouse lines get pulled, now all of a sudden these bridge lenders are out of market, are out of business. And as if this does snowball and the economy continues to, you know, do all the things that you were saying, AJ, there, there's a good chance that many of these bridge lenders, um, again, aren't around to save the guy whose storage facility has been open 18 months and they're stuck at 60% or I guess that would be great after 18 months, but, you know, stuck at 30% and their loan has come due. And, you know, those, without those bridge lenders, those are very distressed deals. So tell me this, what, what are you seeing? I mean, I've mentioned a few times as we've talked about markets right before they happened, there were certain markets that I viewed as already distressed, as in the oversupplied nature of self-storage was driving rates down like a rock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly I think of areas like Texas, Mm -hmm. you had Portland, you had Nashville, you had some of these other markets that just saw such a massive increase. And two, to this day, you have facilities that are opening up all over the place all summer. They came online in the last three, yep. four months, and they're still coming online. Sure. And they're going to be hitting the markets in the next four months, although they're uh, already were oversupplied. Um, what are you seeing? Are there markets that you're seeing and hearing about that, um, uh, you know, maybe, for example, our listeners, they may want to really look into before they, uh, before they, they go into, knowing that in this economy – that increase in supply and that drop in rates, um, that's going to hurt existing facilities that may be for sale. Well, uh, exactly the ones you, you've mentioned. Phoenix, Portland, Houston, Dallas, um, Miami, a little bit of Boston, you're hearing, you know, the Carolinas, Nashville. Those are the main, Denver, uh, those yeah, are the main Denver's ones that stick out. Um, Boise, but, we're at you know, the, 26, the, 26 feet per capita. Yeah, yeah. The, the the flip side of that and what the the argument against oversupply is, um, and, you, you know, we hear it all the time because, you know, people are trying to convince us to take on their project and, and work on it to get it financed is all of those markets I just listed are high growth markets. High growth. And so... You know, it, we're see, it, it, it's not it, – one of the great things about storage is just the old adage that um, it's not if, it's when. So if you have staying power and you're properly capitalized, it will it – it should, right, lease up unless you've built a, you know, five-story 
climate control, all interior, you know, Taj Mahal in the middle of Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. That may never lease up because it's just There's the not, wrong product yeah. for the wrong area, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, no one wants to take, you know, take yeah, an elevator. Yeah, but a good product in a good growing area, you're exactly right. right. It's we'll just a matter of time. But, It'll eventually. How long yeah. can you bleed for? But it... How long can you bleed for? So, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are bleeding in those markets. Um, and, you know, it just can they hang on? And that was my point about the bridge market is everyone keeps asking, where's the distress? How come there's no distress? People are talking about, you know, that there should be distress deals. And when we're going to get the opportunity to, you know, buy something on the cheap. Well, the reason you haven't been able to is because of these bridge lenders. They've been giving these developers lifelines, uh, you know, a couple more years, um, you know, if that dries up in those markets, I believe that, you know, we're talking about and, and markets all over the country, not just those, you're, if those lifelines dry up, you're going to see that distress a lot quicker. That makes sense. Now, if I'm coming in and I'm either buying a storage facility or I'm looking at getting in a better position, trying to weather the storm, what should I be doing right now with my financing? Who should I be going to? Like, what banks can do you know that have a good, healthy appetite? And what would you tell people that I have a facility? Like, one of the things, you know, like me, the discussions me and you have, it's, this is a great time, which we would like to do is refinance and pay interest only um, for a little while mm-hmm. because that way we're like, hey, we got a, a increase in and cash flows that can help us maybe weather any storms or con, uh, uh, or two. Also, we're we're actively engaged in buying facilities. We get, we're right now in the middle of three developments. We're trying to do conversions um, and developments that are in. We're talking like downtown first tier markets, very very select you know locations. Um, but then two, we're doing acquisitions, uh, two acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So you know we're not we're not stopping, and I and I want to make that clear um we're going to keep going although it cut mass amounts out right it, it is the cream of the top that's floating up for us so if i'm looking to buy a new facility and take care of my exist or or and take care of my existing facilities what would you say to to those people well rates are you still at historically you know low low levels um you know interest rates are great from that standpoint it remains a uh, borrowers market now right there's a lot of volatility right now so i, I can't uh, you know this is one of the few times in my career i can't look at you guys and say this is where rates are because no one really knows right now um i always go back when people ask me that question i go back to finance 101 which is match your liabilities with your you, you know the length of your liabilities with the length of your assets real estate for most people is a long-term asset so in my opinion, it behooves you to enter into long-term debts. And it's not necessarily an interest rate play. That can be helpful. It's nice to know what your interest rate is going to be for the long-term. But, you know, frankly, short-term interest rates have been low for a long time. And, you know, you would not have gotten hurt over the last 10 years if you were on floating rate debt. You just absolutely wouldn't have. But what long-term fixed-rate debt does for you is it allows you to weather the storm because there's not a forced maturity date, right? There is a maturity date, but um, if during the life of that loan, the you know black swan event happens and you're not forced to transact, you can just ride it through. 
So people who are getting hurt right now are people who have forced maturity. So their construction loan is coming due in the next, you know, couple of months. They're, you know, they are on some short-term instrument with their local bank. Um, so my advice would be to, you know, look at long-term fixed-rate debt, locking into it um, as soon as you really can, so that you can weather the storm, weather this storm, no matter you know, how long it is. Um, lenders are still lending, right? And we'll get a lot more visibility in the coming weeks. So, you know, I, I match your assets with your liabilities. If your, if your plan is to hold uh, the storage facility you're buying or you're looking to refinance for five years, put five-year debt on it. If you plan on holding it forever, look at 10-year debt. Um, hey, if you're just buying it and gonna, you know, spruce it up and flip it, Sure, then may, maybe floating rate debt works for you, so there's no prepayment penalty or, or anything like that. But just remember that if everything doesn't go as planned and that loan comes due and we're in a market that credit is not readily available, um, all of a sudden you're forced to transact. And if you're forced to transact in an illiquid market, that's when real pain happens. And so that's right now my concern is for you know the people out there who are going to be forced to transact now, if you're forced to transact and you've got, you know, a 90% occupied storage facility that's throwing off great cash flow, you're going to find a home for it because, again, this time around, the capital markets aren't broken. There, there is capital out there. But if you're in this, you know, forced to transact in the coming months and you've got, you know, a 50% occupied facility that's been out of the ground for a couple of years, that's really where where I see some of the issue. So, I and I want to, my thinking behind this too is not just for capital markets when they become inefficient, but also too, you got to remember that for me, when I'm looking out and the reason we, I, I, I just, I couldn't agree more with you, um, long-term debt, but as of right now, as the banks, as you've mentioned, banks called me and said, listen, we're totally fine. We are extremely well capitalized. We're ready to mm-hmm. do great deals and we get our pick now, right? So you have government coming in, pumping trillions of dollars into our economy. You have banks that are already well-capitalized, financed, and you have a lot of people that aren't needing to write off massive bad debt. This is a temporary thing. You match those up. Let's, I don't know how long it'll be, but let's say it's three, four months. Unemployment gets back over six months. You just injected over a trillion dollars into our economy to banks that didn't need it, um, to pe- into right. people's hands that didn't have bad debt. It's not like they're underwater in their mortgage, right? No, in fact, most people have a ton of equity in their homes, um, and they're not needing right. to sell off their homes. Um, so you, it's so different from the last time where the last time all of those bailouts and all that money that got injected in the economy is only relevant to how much was being evaporated and being written off by the restructuring of debt. So although they put tons of money into the economy, everyone was erasing capital like it was crazy, and they were just trying to fill in the gaps. There's Nobody's filling in gaps right now, yet we need capital in people's hands to make sure they can spend and get it into the private sector. Right. Um, but to me, that can spell inflation. Um, uh, we go six months, we're at historic low interest rates. People have money. People are back to work. Banks aren't needing to hoard cash, right, to meet standards. They're well. They're ready to deploy capital. Um, I, I, I 
can't imagine interest rates could stay historically low. I, I could be wrong, obviously. But for me, that's a huge hedge that I'm looking at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at one of the reasons we're looking at refinancing is because I want to re-amortize for get that out longer, right? I don't have anything no. coming due, so there's no need to. But I know I want to push it out even farther so the next time we have a black swan, the next time the we have to raise interest rates up and we're going from, you know, whatever, 3.5 to 5.5 or 6, mm-hmm. I'm locked in a good position and, and I can capitalize on that. So it's both ways. It's up and down that I'm looking at, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, and especially prior to this, I mean, the it, the capital markets were so liquid. Um, I mean, the value of storage was so high. Um, the debt that we were placing, you know, for the last six months, the debt that we were getting storage owners was way beyond anything in my career I've ever seen um, or ever imagined, you know, we could. We readily, and and given where treasure, treasury, treasuries are, I, you know, I, I once we get through this, I think spreads will be back there, but we'll be lending long-term fixed rate money in the mid threes. Um, you know, that's where we were two weeks ago. We don't know really where we are today um, because the value of storage is so high. Um, these loans are constrained by cash flow, you know, either cash flow or maximum LTV. Well, cap rates for self-storage is so low right now that, um, you know, you really can't get a 75% loan to value loan because there's not enough cash flow to support that. So the loan ends up getting constrained by a debt yield. And when that happens, you know, you go out and you get an appraisal. So this would be refinances or whatnot, but typical debt yields are around eight and a half percent. And so if your loan is constrained by an eight and a half percent debt yield, it's very difficult. You just, you can't get 75% of value because that would mean that you're buying or your property is being valued at around a six and a half to a six cap rate. And we're just not seeing that, you know, people are buying on sub six cap rates and appraisals are coming in at, you know, six or below. So that 75% LPV number really doesn't exist when, when the appraisals actually come back, you're closer to 70 or 65% um, because you're, what you're getting constrained by is that debt yield. The reason I bring that up is what that affords people is long interest only periods. And so, you know, we are typically seeing people, you know, putting, you know, max leverage on their properties yet being able to get, you know, five to 10 years of interest only. Um, and we think that will continue as long as, you know, the value of, of self-storage remains high. You know, now if we start to see cap rates creep up and, you know, the, the average cap rate, you know, goes above six and a half, which, you know, I, I have no idea where cap rates are going. But um, if they do start to climb like that, then all of a sudden we'll start seeing, you know, deals being constrained by 75% of the appraised value. But right now, you know, cap rates are just so low that LTV never becomes an issue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously, we don't know the future, but wish all, with all the capital, and we have to remember that there was a lot of funds, there were a lot of people that were literally sitting on the sidelines. I know people that had $100 million mm-hmm. funds that were like, oh, we're waiting to snatch up deals. The idea that there's well, going to be a you... super high jump in cap rates um, I just don't see it because there's so much yeah. capital trying to get into the market and it, it's, you know, 
it's ready to be deployed. It's ready to take any assets for sale. That's that's right. I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I do think, right, equity is discretionary. And with what you're seeing going on in the stock market, there are alternative investments and alternative yields. And, you know, if the opportunity, if the opportunity is such somewhere else, you may see some of that capital move somewhere else or their ability to raise capital. I mean, that's a whole nother discussion we can have is the, the effect on equity. And I'll tell you right now, real life stories are real life examples of um, we know of deals that are going sideways acquisitions because of the equity. You know, people who either syndicate their equity or have a large equity sponsor who the equity has cold feet right now. And so deals that not, not going sideways because we're not sure where the debt is going to be. They're going sideways because the equity is getting nervous. And, and are they so, getting, you know, are if, they getting nervous from the standpoint of the opportunity or are they getting nervous just in their own position or are they looking for uh, seeing better opportunities elsewhere? Well, some of it's better opportunities elsewhere. Some of it, it's not nervous in, you know, and again, I'm not on the equity side, but my understanding, it's not nervous in necessarily the projects. It may be nervousness in is a, this was a fair return two weeks ago, but now with, what's gone on in the stock market and opportunities elsewhere, this isn't as fair a return. I need a bigger return because my alternative investment is, you know, I'm going to just go put money in whatever. So they're, they're looking for uh, a better return. And I think there also is just a general idea of not knowing, okay, well, we knew what this property was going to do two weeks ago. We don't know what it's going to do now. And guess what? I, I might lose my job. You know, whatever, my company might shut down. So the $50,000 that I was going to give my buddy to, you know, who's syndicating a, a $6 million acquisition or I, I'm not going to do that because I want to have that $50,000 yeah. just in case. No, I, so I yeah, think you're absolutely right. On. There is so much uncertainty right now because the world is changing so fast. Capital is freezing just because it's like, I, I just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So yeah. every, I can't but I think, get ahead of it. Almost a lot of people are seeing, they just can't feel like I'm yeah. every time I think I'm making a good decision. So much more information comes out that I need to digest. Yeah. It's there's a pause nature of it. Like I need to take this in. I need to digest this information or the lack of information. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right though, that there is a tremendous amount of money on the sidelines that has been trying to get into self storage. And that's why cap rates have compressed to the point they have. You know, I mean, they just, we continue to hear it. I don't think that's going away. Are they going to be more selective? I mean, are they going to see this as an opportunity to buy stuff at, you know, a higher cap rate? Probably, because when you look at it, if, if every other asset class is cheaper or every, every other, you know, investment opportunity is yielding more over, you know, they're going to ask that storage yield more. And I guess the only way that it doesn't is if, you know, like you said, there's that much money trying to come into it. It could have another, it could cause another, this whole thing to cause another surge too, right? If, if we make it through the next, you know, if this lasts and, and the ramifications of this last six months and storage proves to have relatively not been affected, yet hotels are shutting down and office, people decide that, you know what, I don't need as much office space because people actually were productive when they worked at home and, you know, just these other asset classes, all of a sudden that institutional money may 
get even more aggressive for storage if storage is able to, you know, show the resilience they did in, or we did in, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11 during that time frame. So, you know, it's just, we're, we're just, we're kind of just having a discussion here, yeah, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I, none of us know. No, none nobody knows. Know. Was it last week that Wall Street Journal came out with that thing? Or yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean Wall Street Journal it, came out you know? and was on the cover of the Wall Street Journal or whatever saying investors are fleeing to self-storage. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's you're right. So the investors and, yeah. and, and it is true for all your listeners. Obviously, we're literally just, you know, looking at all angles and we're, we're just having a discussion of different outcomes and how how this all may play out because it's a volatile situation and it's changing. As we said before, I, I mean, I think all of us sit here and go, geez, two weeks ago, who would have imagined? I mean, I mean literally that quickly. It, it's changed so rapidly from if you look at our podcasts and you just go back three weeks we weren't having any discussion about any of this three weeks ago. <laughs> it's amazing, None dude. whatsoever. How fast it um, changes. Yeah, and it's which makes you sit back and take pause. Say, what are we going to be talking about in three more weeks? And, we, and it, what's interesting about that, AJ, is three weeks ago is when the Treasury started to plummet, and you know we talked about that canary in the coal mine. And we were talking to the CMBS lenders, and again, they were saying, yeah, no, you know, I think spreads are about the same. And But for some reason, that treasury just continued to drop, drop, drop. And that really was, you know, for whatever reason, on a global economic basis, there was huge demand for the safest assets in the world, which is U.S. treasuries. And so that, you know, I just find it interesting that that really was, and now here we are, you know, three weeks later, and it's uh, we're 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 that <laughs> really was a yeah. precursor. So I guess is what I'm saying. Before we let you go here, I, w- I do want to hear how you yep. think this is going to play out, and I promise listeners will have Devin back on here probably sooner than later, maybe in the next few months if I can get him to talk about when things calm down, we can reevaluate the credit markets and say, okay, once once we actually get some um, stability footing and we can see a little more forward, we'll, we'll if, if he'll come on, we'll have him come back on and talk about that. But what are you seeing in the future? What, what, how do you think? Obviously, we understand you don't know. But um, you right. know, how do you think this stuff's going to play out? Well, I, I think from my standpoint and what I know is I know lending. And I, I do think the big difference this time around is the banks are not in trouble. So there won't be a extended period of time where capital isn't available. So it doesn't matter if it's your house or, you know, it, it, it's commercial real estate debt will be available. So having that liquidity is so important. So whenever we get through both, you know, the, the, the virus and, and that runs its course and then, the effect that that had on the economy. Once we get through that, there's going to be capital readily available at the end of that. And to help get through the economic impact of the virus, banks are healthy enough that they're going to be there. So having capital available, I will aid in, in what it, you know, whatever type of recovery, you know, is needed or, or whatnot, or we'll shorten it. But if, if the capital will be in real trouble, if the capital markets dry up, um, having what's going on, you know, in the economy where, you know, very different than 2008, having what's going on in the economy now, coupled with a complete collapse of the capital markets, in my opinion, would be catastrophic to <laughs> a level that, you know, we have never seen that, you know, way beyond what we saw in 2008, 9, 10. 
So the, the, the silver lining is we have really strong banking system right now, really strong, you know, lenders are strong. So having access to that capital, I think will will carry the day for a lot of people. Awesome. Now, before you go, where can people find you? I'll put your links in the show notes. We'll have it in there. Things, but where can people go to get a hold of you to pick your brain and ask yep. you questions? All right. So it's, it's Devin Huber with the BSC Group. You can go to our website, which is thebscgroup.com, or you can uh, call me anytime, uh, 312-207-8232, um, or send me an email at bhuber at thebscgroup.com. No, I appreciate the time, uh, AJ, the platform. Um, you know, hopefully uh, everyone got something uh, you know, notable out of this. And again, it's we're really just spitballing here. None of us have any idea where this is going or how this is going to turn out. But, you know, but, hopefully we gave you some things to think about. Absolutely. Your experience and what right. you're seeing is invaluable um, to our listeners. So thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us that behind the scenes so it helps us make better decisions and trying to put a crazy world together. So we appreciate it. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll have you back on another time. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks gentlemen. Thanks man. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. Bye.